Jill Rutter is with me, Senior Research Fellow at UK in a Changing Europe. Jill, welcome to uh, LBC uh, once again. What are both sides, the UK and the EU, each trying to achieve from these Brexit talks? Well, they're trying, in theory at least, to achieve a deal about the UK's long-term future relationship with the EU. Uh, That's about all they agree on at the moment. But anyway, uh, so they're trying to cover off not just trade, but also uh, some degree of internal security cooperation. Quite interestingly, the EU also wanted to discover, wanted to discuss defence and foreign policy cooperation, but the UK said, no, we're not going to do that as part of these talks. So that's what all these working groups and all these civil servants uh, that you were just talking about are going out there to discuss. So this is very much the sort of first meeting of the sides we had last uh, over the last couple of weeks. We had the mandates produced by both parties, so we saw their initial starting points, uh, which showed that they're quite a long way apart. Um, I suppose in a negotiation of this magnitude, uh, two sides in a negotiation are going to be a long way apart. Have you seen anything which has um, surprised you or alarmed you? I mean, are we going to see a deal or are we hurtling towards a no deal? We really don't know that at this stage. I think what is quite interesting is how far away the UK ask is now from the sort of things that Theresa May was wanting to ask. So whereas she wanted very special treatment for the UK, she was arguing that this should be a deal with it for like no other. Uh, it's very interesting when you go back and look at what uh, what the UK side is now asking. It's basically saying, no, just treat us like you treat other third countries. We're not special. Actually, it's not quite true. They are one or two places where they do point to the proximity and the need for special treatment. But their general line is, this is what you offered Canada, we'll have that. This is what you offered Japan, we'll have that. This is what you offered South Korea. So they're basically saying, you know, we will take what you've offered to other people. They've gone through and looked at the precedents. I think the EU is a bit surprised. I think the EU thought that the UK would have much more interest in avoiding friction uh, on trade between the UK and the EU because introducing friction comes at quite a high price to business. And I think the EU possibly hasn't yet really registered how limited the UK sets of asks are on the trade front. Um, are trade talks from the UK, uh, the UK-US trade talks, are they taking place um, simultaneously to this? Uh, well, today, and they're really quite interesting, today we've had a really big document put out by the Department of International Trade, so Liz Truss's department, about what the UK wants to get out of trade talks with the US. They haven't started. We've had sort of lots of preliminary meetings, bits of discussion, but it's only since the UK left the EU that we've been allowed to really enter into discussions with the US. Um, it's very interesting. What's really interesting is, uh, is how much more analysis the government has given us of what they expect to get out of the trade talks with the US. They didn't provide anything like this analysis about the EU, even though uh, at the moment the EU accounts for about half our exports. Uh, the US is our biggest, next biggest trading partner, but accounts for about you know, 15, 16%. So it's really, really interesting that the government has actually produced what you would expect to see for big trade talks. It's treating the U.S. uh, trade deal 
in economic terms, setting out what it asks, how it expects different sectors to be affected, different parts of the labour force, different regions and things like that. The government hasn't put its name to any of that sort of analysis for the EU. Indeed, I think what's really interesting is that although in many ways a huge amount more at stake uh, in the discussions with the EU on the economy, this is actually a discussion with the EU that's not really driven by economic considerations. It's driven mainly by political considerations and the top political consideration is the need to show that we've taken back control and taken ourselves out of the and EU's orbit. Well, presumably from the other side, the EU need to be seen to not be beaten. I mean, certain amount of pride comes into these sort of situations and, and, and personal animosities and or friendships. Is there any such thing as goodwill left between these two sides? It's very interesting. I think there was a degree of goodwill, uh, though I think that uh, actions the UK government since then have done something to dissipate it. I think when you saw the deal that was done in October, if you remember the sort of great reception that Boris Johnson got at his last European Council meeting, his first and last European Council meeting in October, I think the EU then was quite favourably surprised that he'd basically signed up to a deal that they offered Theresa May and she'd rejected, that he had shown flexibility in order to get that deal over the line and then did deliver it. I think what's happened since, though, has reduced that goodwill, not least uh, ministers repeatedly suggesting that they uh, either haven't read or don't intend to take seriously their obligations under the uh, Northern Irish Protocol. I think that's done a lot for uh, creating goodwill and harmony between both sides. I think the other bit that the EU is certainly interpreting, I think it's, this is a bit more debatable, frankly, is that the UK signed up to things in the political declaration that was a non-binding document that accompanied the withdrawal agreement yeah. but now appears to be rowing back from that, whether that's because it's slightly surprised that it's got a majority in Parliament, doesn't need to make similar sort of concessions yeah. to those it thought it might have to make to get a deal through Parliament, or just because it actually didn't pay that much attention to the uh, and, language, and which is after language is... largely agreed by Theresa May, didn't bother to read the fine print when it signed up, uh, it was so desperate for a deal back in October. Right, and non-binding is non-binding. So. Non-binding is non-binding. <laughs> the EU has always said if the UK's red lines change, its position could change. Uh, maybe they're finding that the UK's red lines are changing, but in a different direction. Okay. Thank you very much indeed for bringing us up to speed with that. That's Jill Rutter, Senior Research Fellow at UK in a Changing Europe.